And good morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Romans in chapter 11. Thank you, Pastor, so much for the privilege of being able to share the Word of God with the people of God. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, my name is uh, Thomas Correa. Uh, you, some of you guys, especially in children's ministry, are aware of my two amazing children, uh, Thomas and Levi. They have my personality, uh, but they have their mother's looks, so they are blessed two ways. <laughs> I'm so, uh, I'm so excited to share the Word of God with you this morning. We are going to be continuing in our simple gospel series through the book of Romans. Romans is my favorite book in all of Scripture uh, because it summarizes the gospel in 16 chapters, from the beginning of God's covenant with Abraham all the way through to the saving grace of Jesus Christ that allows you and I to be called Christians. It does it all in one singular book. My second favorite book, Pastor actually quoted this morning, uh, it is the book of Leviticus. Amply, my son is named after it, but don't tell his mother that because she wrote Levi on the birth certificate. But every time that I yell his name, I say, Leviticus Matthew Correa, come here. And she's like, that is not his name. And I said, yes, it is. <laughs> Romans chapter 11. When I was reading this chapter for the first time, I was trying to look at what the major theme of this was. When looking through scripture, you see different chapters and different segments, and you can see what God is trying to tell his people through this. And I saw God in this chapter as a gardener. And the big thing that I take away from this chapter, and we're going to talk about it more, is that God the gardener has made a way for all to be saved. I'm going to say it again. God the gardener has made a way for all to be saved. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me as we look to the Father one more time in a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. And though you have created such massive things, Lord God, and you control them with just a point and snap of your finger, your precious possession is your children. You have made us in your image. Every tribe, nation, and tongue is precious to you, and I thank you, and I thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. I ask that you bless us as, as we open up your word. You give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hands and feet to respond to your message. Bless this preacher, and let it not be his words, but the very words of the Holy Spirit as it says in your word. And all of God's people said, Amen. God the gardener has made a way for all to be saved. Let's begin reading, shall we? I am a person that fully believes in reading all the scripture that is in your notes. So there's going to be a lot of scripture. But a wise man once told me there should be more of scripture than your words in your sermon. Amen? Verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. 
For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. Verse 4, but what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, though their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. God the gardener has made a way for all to be saved. And the first thing that I notice about the gardener is that the gardener prunes. The gardener prunes. The Apostle Paul is using an illustration from the Old Testament when in the days of Elijah the prophet, he was confronting an evil king. And this king wanted everyone to bow down the knee to Baal, a foreign god that was not our Lord and Savior. And at a certain point, this king had murdered the prophets of God, all but Elijah. So Elijah goes up and says, God, I'm the only one left. He believes that he is the only worshiper of God at that time. But the father responds and says, I have left for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God was reminding Elijah that Elijah alone was not the only person still standing as God's holy people. 7,000 men and their families had also not given in to the deception of this world. And the Apostle Paul now is bringing this illustration in to the letter written to the Roman people and is saying that they are a part of that remnant, that they are a part of the chosen people set aside that are not bowing down to the things of this world, that they have become a part of the family of God, who now the things of sin and evil and licentiousness are not a part of. And the good news also about this, brothers and sisters, is that you and I are now a part of that family. Some of you guys weren't too enthusiastic. I'm going to ask this side. They maybe have some more energy. You and I 
are now a part of that remnant, the people of God he has chosen for his own possession. Oh, a little louder. It's good. More enthusiastic. I'm going to pick these notes up because I need words. (laughs) So when I was looking at this, uh, the word is used as remnant. Now, remnant for me is just a little bit too traditional. I really didn't understand it in the beginning. So when I was reading this chapter, I was going through and through again, and uh, God just popped in my spirit, a point in time where life made sense, math class. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, we're going to talk about math in church. Yes, we are. (laughs) In math class, it was my favorite subject because you always had one answer. And when I thought of the word remnant, I remember doing long division. Now, how many people remember doing long division in high school? You know, some of the younger kids know Common Core, and that is of the devil. Uh, It very much, I cannot understand it to save my life, uh, but we're going to move on. We're going to pray for God's grace on your life. So what happened with long division is that you had a larger sum that you had on one side, and you basically made like a house or a bar, and you had the uh, the, the little number on the outside, and you proceeded to be able to get the solution and build down to show your work. Now, one of the things that used to pop up was that you used to have a decimal point after, or you used to have a number that still carried over after you did the whole, and that was called the remainder. A lot of people know this when you get like 33.33333333%. That's the remainder of three. And through that, God was telling me, I will always have a remainder. I will always have a remainder. There will always be a special people that I have laid aside to myself that will not give in to the things of this world, that will not uh, embrace the things of the enemy, but that will stand tried and true for the things of Jesus Christ. But Pastor Thomas, what does that have to do with the gardener pruning? Well, with every remainder, there's a majority. And Paul is using this illustration to say that the majority of the people Israel, the majority of Jews who did not accept Jesus Christ when he was here on this earth have hardened themselves. They have made themselves difficult to understand the mysteries of the gospel. And because of that hardening, God has the ability to be able to open up the world to the Gentiles. In the book of Acts chapter 13, when Paul is starting his missionary journeys, he first starts in the synagogue. So when he starts in the synagogue, he's preaching to the Jewish people, but the Jewish people do not want to hear this message. So he says, I am going to go to the Gentiles, thus filling the prophecy that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses into Samaria and the utter ends of the earth. We are the fulfillment of that prophecy. If it had not been for the Jewish people hardening their heart, God would not have made a place on the vine for us. There was a point in time in the temple period where the Gentiles were not allowed in the inner court of the temple. They had built an outer court or a portico as the scripture tells us. And the Gentiles could be able to go there, 
but they couldn't go on the inner side because that was for God's special people, the covenant that he made with the Jewish people through Abraham. And Jesus Christ took that wall and he punched it in the mouth when he was crucified on Calvary's cross. He tore the veil in half and he made an opportunity for you and I to be in the family of God. And now everyone is level at the cross. Now we have the opportunity to be able to embrace our Lord and Savior on holy ground. And we are a part of now a covenant people that is righteous, holy, and magnificent in the sight of God. We are no longer second-rate citizens. We are one body, one mind, one soul in Jesus' name. The gardener prunes and takes off branches. We're going to be talking about that in a little bit. We're going to be talking about that in a little bit. But he prunes. And he prunes sometimes because there are times where uh, branches might not be producing fruit. The Bible says you will know my people by their fruit. There are times where there is a hardening or a harshness. There are times where the branches aren't receiving the nourishing sap from the root of the vine. So God prunes in order to talk about what we are talking about in our next part. So not only does the gardener prune, the gardener grafts. Let's read starting in verse 12. Now, if their trespass, he's talking about Israel, means richness for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off, so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But stand you fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then <laughs> the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. The gardener grafts. Paul uses an illustration of a vine and a vine dresser, and it mirrors the book of John, 
chapter 15, when Jesus is speaking to his apostles and says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you cannot do anything. Paul is using this language because the people would understand it because the majority of them understand the vine. They understand the structure of the olive tree. Now, I don't know about you guys, but my family from Brooklyn and I was raised in Hartford. The only trees and bushes that we saw were in Bushnell Park. And half of them were dying. <laughs> there, there are not a lot of green thumbs in the city. So I had to do some research. I had to understand what this process was. And the way that it goes is that a good root and good branches, branches would be cut off and they would go to a bad tree or a tree that is not producing fruit and is hardened. And they would take the good branch and graft it in to the bad tree so that the nourishing and good sap that this branch has will go into the tree, will go into the root, and replenish it and make it good again. But what the Apostle Paul is saying is contrary to what nature tells us. It is saying that we, at one point, were wild branches. That we were wild branches that were off to the side, that we were poisonous, and that God was attaching us to a root that was good. Now, if nature does its course, then that means that that root and that vine would die. But God is far greater and can do the miraculous. Pastor Kevin said it earlier, your impossible situation can be conquered with God. So God now, he does something that is countercultural. He takes something that is supposed to be broken, poison, not useful. He grafts it in and it starts producing fruit. It starts becoming healthy. And what was once supposed to be foreign and never grafted in is a part of the vine. It is part of the family of God. And brothers and sisters, there was a point where you and I were those branches. We were broken, we were hurting, we were dying, we were addicted, we struggled, but God, in his greatness, picked us up. He attached us to his vine, and we are now a part of the family of God when we were never supposed to be in the first place. May he receive the glory, honor, and praise. Amen? Now, I wanted to see another situation of this, to, to see how it looks like in another thing. Did you know that an apple tree and a pear tree can be grafted in? Could you know, did you know that, Boaz? That a, an apple tree and a pear tree could be grafted in and they could both share in the same sap. They are still producing fruit because it is something that the Lord uses as an example for you and I. There are some of you guys uh, that before God got a hold of you, me as well, like poison ivy. <laughs> there are some of you that were grapes. There were some of you that were apples. There were some of you that are pears. There are a couple of you that were a uh, nut tree. <laughs> 
But God did something amazing. God did something great. He grafted us in and made us a part of his family. He made us a part of his roots. And he doesn't see any difference. He doesn't see any difference between the natural branches and the unnatural branches. He sees people that are a part of his family. People that are a part of his vine. Now, we're going to be moving on, but the gardener prunes, the gardener grafts. But this is my favorite part of the chapter. The gardener mends. The gardener mends. Let's start in verse 24. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to become unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take their sins away. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But in regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but you have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also might receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Paul is continuing in this vineyard grafting illustration. And he is speaking now about the people Israel. Now, this is as intellectual as my argument will be, because there is a, a little bit of a sticky situation that happens here. Um, there is a part of theology called replacement theology. Everybody say it with me. Say replacement theology. Replacement theology. All right, now I've done my job. We can do the memory verse with motions just like we do in Sunday school. <laughs> Replacement theology summarized is that we as Christians now, because of the covenant that we have with God and the cross, is that we have replaced Israel as God's promised people. Now, I don't know about you. That's not what this chapter reads like. What this chapter reads like is that, yes, there have been times where people have been hardened and have been broken off and you have been grafted in. But the Apostle Paul says that people can be able to be grafted back in. 
God has not forgot His promises to His people Israel. He made them before you when I were ever thought of in our parents' sight. In the book of Genesis chapter 15, Abraham goes and he makes himself available to God. God tells him what he wants to do through him. And he says, I am here. I am here and available to do whatever you would like me to do. And somebody who was living a secular pagan lifestyle became the father of many nations. Jesus Christ would follow through the Abrahamic bloodline and be the Lord and Savior of this world. But the last time I checked... God does not break his promises. We break our promises because we're imperfect people. But God is far from imperfect. God is perfect, holy, and true. And when he made that promise with Abraham, there was a point in the scriptures where back in the day when you made a covenant or you made a promise, you would take an animal and you would cut it in half and spread it to the side. And the vow that you would make as you walked through was, if I have not completed my portion of this promise, may me, may I be cut in half like these animals are. That was how you did it back in the day in the times of Abraham. Well, God doesn't allow Abraham to walk through. God walks through. So when God makes a promise, you be sure that he is going to keep it. The Apostle Paul is now telling us that there is an opportunity for Israel to be grafted back in, for Israel to be mended. The gardener mends. He sees the branches that are broken, that are not producing fruit, for those that are barely hanging on to an inch of the vine. And he goes and, and he, he sees them as precious. He still sees them as things that still have life in them. And in the same way that he looks at his people Israel in that sense, there are so many people who have been broken branches because of life, because of circumstances, because of trusting ourselves, because of thinking in the what if. What if for me is the worst question in the world because people don't move on from the what if. They kind of just stay in a cyclical site. I remember as a young person, I would say, what if I went to this college? Or what if I did this thing? Or what if I ended up with that girl? Trust me, I'm lucky that I didn't end up with that girl. But the gardener, he sees these branches and he says, don't throw them away. I have much work for them to do. Now, when I am looking at this portion of scripture, um, my brain thinks about movies, is, thinks about movies, comic books, and TV shows. That is just how my brain correlates everything. And a couple weeks ago, uh, as I was reading this, I was watching The Karate Kid. Yeah, Daniel's son. And I was watching the Karate Kid part three, and if some of you remember it, there is a part where uh, Miyagi brings a bonsai tree from his native land in Japan and brings it over to California. It was a tree that his grandfather and his father had cultivated. So it was something very precious to him. And Daniel, being the good mentee and student that he was, wanted to plant it 
on the hillside so that it would receive the same nourishment and sunlight that, he, that they did when in Japan. And just like with every Karate Kid movie, the antagonist comes, and as Daniel is uh, planting this tree, uh, the antagonist and his buddies come, and, and they surround him, and they, they grab him uh, uh, by the front, and he said, just give me back the tree. Just give me back the tree. Because he understands the importance of it. And the boy says, yeah, I'll give you back the tree. And he snaps it in half. And in that time, Daniel's heart drops because something that he knew his friend found so precious was now broken. And he comes and he brings it back to Miyagi and, and, and he gives it back to him because Daniel is not a gardener, but Miyagi is. So Miyagi takes another bonsai and mends it with the broken tree. He wraps it. And what I want you to realize is that for something to be mended or something to be grafted, it still needs to be cut. Some of you guys did not get that. So, for a person to be grafted into the vine of God, God has to either take the notch from the broken branch and cut it open so that the sap might be exposed and do the same thing with the bad branch so that it can be grafted in. In that same way, our Father opens up notches for those who need to be mended. The gardener has made a way for all to be saved. So there is not a certain number of notches. God will make a notch where a notch wasn't in order that his child might be saved. The gardener mends. The gardener takes us from a point to where we were to something that is fully transformative. As we are grafted in and as we are mended in, then we receive the nourishing sap. And not only are we producing fruit, other people are seeing that and are, they're like, I want some of that. There was a point in time where I, I, I was falling to the ground. I don't have to worry about messing it up. I was in church and I had fallen to the ground. And it, it took me many years before God had not picked me up, but that I was willing to share in the nourishment of the sap. And the horrible thing about that, ladies and gentlemen, is that I was in the building. How many of our friends leave? How many of our friends go? How many of our friends become hard? Boaz, you can come up. The gardener prunes. The gardener grafts. The gardener mends. And most importantly, and this is the hardest part for you and I, we must trust in the gardener's plan. We're going to be reading uh, the end of the chapter pretty soon, and as a worship leader, I see the last part 
of this chapter and I can't help but get captivated in it. Because the Apostle Paul goes from teaching to a time of praise. He takes a praise break in the middle of the chapter. And as a worship leader, I, I know plenty of these. Some of you guys have had the opportunity to see it, even though I try as much as possible to restrain myself. But there are times where you'll hear a cracked note, or you won't hear me singing. Because I'm not singing for you anymore. It is not my job as the worship leader to lead you in praise and worship. It is my job to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as you see the song people raise their hands and give glory to Almighty God, may you be impressed to do it as well. We must trust in the gardener's plan. If I did not trust in the gardener's plan, I wouldn't know where I would be. According to the national statistics, I should have been a statistic because I had a mother and father who had me at 17 and 18. I had a mother and father who were gang members. I had a father and a stepfather with drug addiction. I was not supposed to survive. I was supposed to be a part of the inner city doing what I wanted to do, enticed by the things of this world. But God... But God took this branch that was poisoned, broken, dark, wouldn't even think about producing fruit. And I said, I got to get a hold of him. I got to get a hold of him because I have big things and big plans for him. He does not know. And by the grace of God, my mother who made a decision to get attached now has two pastors in her family two sons who are pastors in her family and her grandchildren and my father's grandchildren never knew what grandma and grandpa did in this world. All they know is that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of our house and are moving forward. And every evening, I get to take my little boys and I pray with them and I worship with them. And after I sing, my oldest son looks at me and says, we pray? I say, yeah, Papa, we pray. And I bring his brother into the bed and we close our eyes and we hold our hands together. And he repeats my prayer. so that one day he might be grafted in. I know you pray for your children, as do I pray for your children, and so do these pastors. We pray for all of you. And we pray that not only would you stay attached to the vine, but that you would be close enough that you might bear fruit.
we have to trust in the mighty plan of God because it might have seemed like, God, why did you do this with me? Why did you do that with me? Why am I going this way? Why did I marry this person? Why did I move here? Why was I lost and struggling and hurting? It got to a point where you were so helpless that you couldn't help but call on him because you did it your way for so long. God gives us the free will and the ability to be able to say our yes and our no. And then there comes a point where it's like, are you done fighting? Are you done struggling? Because I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna put you in a family and I'm going to make you a prince and a princess for my kingdom because of the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But we have to trust. We have to trust the process. Let's stand. It is no coincidence that after Romans chapter 11, the first two verses of chapter 12, say, knowing all of this, brothers and sisters, therefore, I ask you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, and perfect to God. And do not conform to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's something about sacrifice and surrender. In the early 1900s, there was an evangelist in Chicago by the name of D.L. Moody. And the way that it worked back then is that after a pastor did his sermon, that the men and women were told to go home and ponder these things. And if they felt that God was calling them, they would say a prayer in the privacy of their home. Now, Evangelist Moody did not really agree with that. So he started a new tradition. He called it an altar call. What we know today as this sacred place. And an older lady, after he was doing this for a while, she said, um, Brother Moody, I don't like the way you do evangelism. And he said, I am so sorry. How do you do evangelism? Well, I don't. Well, then I like my way better. <laughs> the altar is a sacred place. It was started in the times of Abraham, where Abraham would take stones and he would separate them in a holy place and he would sacrifice on that altar. We know that from the book of Genesis when God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. It was a place of surrender. It was a place that you were telling God, I remember you, the goodness that you've done to me, and I am laying everything that I am at your feet so that you might have your will in my life. So brothers and sisters, let's build an altar. It is not a structure of wood or the front of this platform. It is you bringing your stuff to God and saying, God, I give it all to you. 
I need to be pruned so that more fruit might grow. I need to be grafted because I don't know what it means to be a part of your family. I need to be mended because I'm only holding on. But I'm broken and I'm hurting. But you can do it. So brothers and sisters, let's make an altar. Let's take the next few minutes and think and surrender to what God is doing. Amen.